Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore. I'm joined in the studio today by the former Quinns and London Irish lock, George Robson. George, how are you and how's retirement treating you? Yeah, I'm very well. I've been, uh, I've been a busy man. Obviously a full weekend of uh, Champions Cup rugby and the Irish side's doing particularly well. Leinster Saris, a lot of people... Preface this by saying it might be a repeat of the England uh, demise against Ireland at Twickenham, and it was in a certain respect, but I don't think you could fault Saris for the way that they played, the way that they tried. I just think that Leinster at the moment are playing particularly well and they are a particularly good side. Yeah, they are. You know, they're an incredibly good side. Um, and having played over there when they play in that stadium, they're, they're really tough when the crowd get on top. And even for that Saracens team, it's got so much experience, it's, it, it can just be too much. And as the scoreline suggests, you know, they're pulled away. We're, we're, we're dominant in that performance. And it seems to me that whatever input Lan- Stuart Lancaster is having, and everyone I speak to from across the water is n- full of praise, for him, he's developing, you know, as a, as a coach, and he's moved on from where he was with England. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember obviously, obviously after the World Cup, his reputation wasn't in the best place over here in, in, in England, uh, and I think it was quite easy for people to kind of put the boot in. Um, but I remember last season, you know, having conversation with one of the guys who's in that Leinster camp now, uh, along the lines of, you know, what we're really, really impressed with this bloke. He's, mm-hmm. He really knows what he's doing. He's really, really, very, very thorough, and we're kind of amazed the stick that he's that he's got. So it's good to see him. You know, it's, it's always good to see any coach when they get a hammering, come back, and 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 slowly go away and uh, you know get a bit of success. I mean, a lot was being talked about of the breakdown relative to England and other things, and yet again today with Leinster, you saw them almost innately target the ones that they wanted and they believed they could get turnovers in. They were quite happy to trust their inside defence, several phases, not contesting, just making sure that they stopped the ball on the game line. And the one that they thought they had a chance piled in and quite a lot of times, you know, were very effective. Now, you can coach the technique of that, but you can't coach the ability on the field to recognise it. It's almost an intuitive skill, isn't it? Like yeah. you say, I mean, I think... I think uh, th- that is the difference. You know, you can spend as, as long as you want working on your contest the ball technique, you know, getting into that low jackal position. But, you know, I think we've all witnessed teams where there's a guy who's the number seven of the team, sticks his head over the ball every single ruck and gets belted every single ruck, mm-hmm. isn't it effective? But it's when you can get a kind of collective team buy-in that, hold on, if they can ID the situation, like you said, they see the body positions aren't quite right or there aren't numbers, that's when, like you say, they get some really good uh, mileage out of it. And the uh, Munster-Toulon game, oh, it was a thrilling 
finale, uh, you know, cracking individual try to uh, to win it by Andrew Conway. But I usually don't have much truck with the French in terms of them saying that they are hard done to when it comes to <laughs> you're officiating. Not, you're not very well known for that. No, yeah. but but I must say, and I don't, and I'm not alleging even in the slightest that there's any conscious bias. But what I did find made me uneasy was the amount of time on some decisions and not others, and then the complete absence of a review on other things, like the, you know, Amani kick from the Toulon second row, which was so blatant and shouldn't have been missed. And then they took an absolute age, and they got it right in relation to Gerardo knock-on, but the Zebo potential, uh, well, that would have been at least a yellow card had it been given. It was seemingly waved away to say, uh, no, uh, we're just seeing it now. Don't think um, there's anything in that. And I just think that deserved a more thorough review than it did have. Yeah, I think I think what's amazing if you look at if you look at all the games, um, bar the bar the Claremont Racing game, where where teams have had to travel into a different country, that the home the home side's been dominant. But also, if you actually look at the influence that I think, you know, we, we can't say that the referee is going to be uh, unduly influenced by the crowd, but the, there is a fact that if if the crowd's baying for blood, it's it's almost just, I'm sure it's really difficult to even it's try. Human not to, it's human nature. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. It's exactly that. It's human nature to kind of be swayed by it because it just feels like it's okay because everyone's egging you mm-hmm. on to, to either award or not award. And that, whether you like it or not as an individual, is going to influence your perception of what you're seeing. And I thought when, you know, like, like, like the final, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of, it was almost like who wants to be a millionaire at the end with the whole <laughs> with the whole stadium, you know, there watching Nigel Owens. There's a lot of pressure. And, uh, and yeah, I think it, it, it does go to show. I, th- I, thought, I thought the other game that was really interesting from a refereeing point of view that we haven't touched on yet is the, uh, is the, the Scarlet's, uh, you know, Larry Rochelle game. I mean, that was fascinating. The way that I I just felt that Lenethley were a lot more adept at playing to Luke Pierce, seeing what he was doing, reacting really quickly. And again, we go back to is that a language thing as well? And an understanding they can ask questions really quickly. Whereas some of the some of the guys in the La Rochelle team would have been like, hold on. But I suppose it takes us back nicely to Six Nations and England saying, well, a referee is very different. It was quite interesting in that game. Lenethley were able to react to a, a Premiership referee. In Luke Pierce and the way that he refed the game more effectively than than the French were. And let's also make this point about um, the Toulon loss. I thought that uh, Bastereau and Ashton were tremendous and probably didn't deserve to end up on a losing side. But and I've written this: Tron Duke seems to have perfected an inverse Midas touch, where everything he touches turns. To something. And for him not to be able to make touch on crucial occasions when he is an experienced international, you know, he's, he's simply unacceptable. And his teammates must be looking at him and thinking, I do not know where your head is because I know you've got the talent, I've seen you do it, and yet you don't seem to appreciate that when it really counts, that sometimes you simply have to do the simple things properly. It's the beauty of French rugby. It has to be said, this type of thing happens. You watch the, some of the top 14 games. It happens all the time, you know, and it, and it is bizarre. It's just such a strange thing. It does happen, you know, everywhere around the world, I suppose. There's always a time. I remember being at Quinn's at one stage when 
they even they even thought we they even the coaches even said well we should have a call that everyone says to make sure so the kicker really knows he's got to get it off the pitch. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure the kickers really appreciated it, but we did it anyway. You know, call stands to make sure it, it goes into the stands. Well, we'll be considering the scarlets uh, in detail with Tom Vandell uh, very shortly, but uh, the other French um, all French uh, affair. I didn't think that Claremont. Um, would lose to Russing. That's quite a good away win for Russing. Um, I know Clement had the problems against Toulon, but uh, usually at home they're uh, fairly um, secure. And just the final point about this, when we come to the semi-finals, is it really a neutral venue, uh, the Aviva, when Leinster are going to play Scarlets? Not really, no. no I mean, not. not at all. No, not, not. not for a second. And I know from speaking to Simon Halliday um, that... It is difficult to schedule these things and change them at the last minute. But if you wanted to be, you know, entirely neutral, that sort of, you know, advantage, and it is an advantage. And Leinster can't say it isn't because they make so much of the fact that the crowd is so supportive of them. You know, that thing shouldn't, there should be a way of accommodating that and moving that to a neutral venue, even, even last minute. Even even last minute. I mean, having said that, I mean I've played against Leinster when they when they were, we were at home, and then they brought the whole crowd over and, and turned the stoop into Leinster, F, you know, RFC. So yeah, well, if they, you never if they know, do but, that, fine. But, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> at least put them in the right. Exactly. At least make, make them travel. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get some yeah. money into into the travel industry. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Anyway, one of the uh, questions that I've been asked extensively on uh, social media is: Do the Scarlets have the ability to you know go on better to do something that uh, no Welsh provincial side has been able to do. Pleased to say we can now speak to Tom Vandell, who's a Scarlet's winger now, I believe. Tom, hello. Hello, Brian, you're right. Uh, not involved on Friday, but uh, must be able to see, feel and hear the mood down there. What is it like? Well, literally, I've been there a couple of weeks and um, it's been unbelievable. You can tell how much it means to the club, how much it means to the supporters uh, literally just from being there for a couple of weeks and sort of being involved in a few training sessions the, the, uh, the, the, the club itself has been what absolutely buzzing in the build up to the La Rochelle game uh, and you can see I think it reflected in the, in the performance you know they were up for it uh, there was a lot of passion the crowd were buzzing and, and they put in, put in a, an amazing performance and obviously got the win and, and progressed to the semi-final and it's um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a huge occasion for the club for the town and for Welsh rugby really What about the prospect of going to the Aviva will they feel it's, look we've got to play whoever it is wherever it is or will they actually think this would be a lot better we would have a better chance if it was at a genuinely neutral venue based on what I've seen so far in the couple of weeks I've been there I don't believe the Scarlets really fear anybody I think they believe in the style of play they, they're playing at the moment I think they believe in the coaching staff and the tact- tactics they sort of take into the game and I just think they're just they're just so excited about being in this sort of stage in the European European competition, and and will take any challenge that sort of that comes to them. Really, the quality for the team is pretty much the Welsh the Welsh team. So you know, in these stages of European competition, you're playing really sort of quality opposition, and it's you go to Saracens, you're playing the England team. It's basically England versus Wales. You play Leinster, you're playing. Uh, the Irish team. It is. It is whoever they play. It's going to be quality opposition. I don't think it matters where the venue is. They're going to be playing high quality rugby, and they believe in the style they're playing. They believe in each other. They have got a great team spirit, 
And I don't think they fear anybody at the moment. And and, and the style of play we saw at the weekend, yeah. they're, they're really having a go and it's fantastic to see. Do you th- I, I mean, I've got my opinion. I, I think it helps on these big high-pressure events because you're less yeah. likely to seize up, especially in, in, in these big games. Is that something you think you, you agree with there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and that's the only way they're going to be able to um, to, to go forward and, and win, this, win this competition. They've got to go out and play rugby. They've got to go and chuck the ball around. They've got to believe in their style and they... The way they train, the way they, they they prepare for the games, the way they they play the games, they just want to go and play play rugby. And I mean, obviously, I've come from Bristol, where it's very different sort of style. And I, I play, I've played um, one and a half games so far, and I tell you what, I've not been as tired as this in my whole career. I don't know if it's age or just the style, but oh my god, I played against um, Munster last week in in the league game, and I was blowing within twenty five minutes. I could not believe it, mate. It's the definitely place. the tempo. The yeah. tempo is the fastest we've ever seen it. You're still it, as fit it, as ever, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so quick and so fast, and it was it was fast and furious. And that, and that is what is going to set set them apart from everybody else. You know, they don't want to get bogged down with set piece. They don't want to get bogged down with slow phase play. They just want to chuck this ball around. They believe in their skills. They do a lot of skill stuff under Jonesy. And and it's working for them. And you can see when they switched it on, when Reese Patcher went over, when Scotty went over and scored a try, you could see it was a tempo. That switching tempo is what was the difference between them. You know, Larrachot obviously gave away a lot of penalties, they were penalised by the referee, but Scarlet's took advantage of that and they switched the tempo and they you know they capitalised on that. It was physical D as well though, wasn't there? It was really good yeah, line speed, really, I thought. Really, good, really good line speed. Yeah. They bring they, everything about them, defence, attack, they bring that line speed and that is what I think it's going to set you know set them apart for everybody else and, and, and propel them forward in this competition. Uh, Tom, centres, Parks and Williams, a yeah. good combination. Halfpenny, one of the best accumulators of points, yeah, probably in in the world actually. Yeah, um, and yet I come back to this: the back five of the scrum in the set in both pieces of the set, and you know how they back up. The runners in um, in the loose. That to me is the area in which they are potentially vulnerable, and they have to s- not sort it out, but they have to keep the efforts as high as they have done. Mm. Um, you've seen them close up. What do you think? Well, I think I think they've got a very athletic four pack. They're a very physical four pack, and they are always aware they have areas of their game they need to work on. Obviously, you've talked about the um, you know these these world class backs they've got Halfpenny, uh, Parks, and in the centres, um, and you know they do they pride themselves on their attack. But without set piece, they they know they're not going to get the attacking opportunities that, that they they've had. And to be fair, so far, obviously a lot of players came back into the squad last year from the uh, last week from the um, from the international period. It'll take time to sort of get themselves together, but now they'll focus on the semi final. On the rest of the league, and, and that set piece will will be what sets them apart as well. They'll they'll get that set piece sorted, and and, and that will give their attack a chance to launch and and, and play the tempo they want. To play. And, I th- and I think the, the guys that they've got in that in that pack yeah. as well, they're they're suited to the style, the style of play. You I mean you yeah. ca- you can't suddenly bring in a load of twenty stone guys if you want to throw the ball around. You need to have the right profile. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree yeah. with you there, Tom. That's that, that, that's pretty smart. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. You mean, and they've got quality in that pack. You can see all the way through that pack. They've got. Blokes who are going to are going to work hard are going to be, you know, they are going to scrum 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 teams to death. They're going to win their lineup. They're going to win their set piece, and that is what they need. And, that, and that's what they've done all season. That's why they won the league last year, and I think that's why they're going to go a step further this year. What do you think? I mean, I said that 
out of 10 meetings, you would back probably Scarlets maybe to win three and the present form. And I'm not being mm-hmm. dismissive. That's just my opinion as a disinterested party. But the important thing is that they do have the ability, if things click, to get that. Now, the way in which uh, Leinster dealt with Saris today, can they actually unlock what is a very parsimonious defence? 100%. 100%. It's just, we played, we played Leinster obviously in the league uh, a few weeks ago. We drew at home. Yes, both teams were weakened due to the internationals. But um, I just believe that the way the Scarlet, and, and to be fair, I'm, I'm pretty much a neutral. I've only just joined Scarlet. So I am still an outsider. I'm learning, I'm learning their, their plays. I'm learning, you know, all about the way that, you know, the way they, the style of play they want to play. I was very, I, I really didn't know much about anything that was going on down in, in the Welsh regions at all until I joined a couple of weeks ago. So from what I've seen so far and the way they approach the game, the whole, the whole mentality physically, physically as well, the way they train, I believe that Scarlet's have so much quality in their team now and the way they've, the way they were played last year to where they are now, they're constantly trying to progress their game. They're changing it. They've got a great set of forwards. They've got a, a, an amazing set of backs as well. You know, with Reese Patrick controlling the game as well. Half penny, obviously, at the back commanding stuff. I genuinely believe that Scarlets are, are a force in European rugby, and they will they will take massive leaps forward now, going for, you know for the rest of the season. Well, Tom, let's hope you get the chance to play a part in it. That'll be nice. That'll be that'll nice, be, wouldn't that'll it? That'll be nice. Great yeah. to speak to you as always. Thanks, mate. Well, we were mentioning the French sides, and I'm now pleased to say we can get someone and a view of someone who's actually played uh, in the French uh, top 14. It's Tom May, the former Toulon Falcons and Saints back. Hello, Tom. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? As I was saying earlier, and you might have missed this, I normally don't have much truck with the French saying that decisions go against them. <laughs> but I, I did think, as a completely neutral party, and why, why would it bother me one way or another whether Toulon or Munster went through, that... Whilst there might not have been any overt bias, and I really don't, I'm not even, I'm not even suggesting that. The way in which the decisions were made and the discussion, especially over that long period of time with the TMO about the Girardo knock-on, yeah. if I were Fabian Galtier, I might think the worst. Yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? We're always talking about interpretations, referee interpretations, and, and depending on which league you're in, um, you have different views on it. Um, I think that that situation was was very very difficult to to try and sort of um, almost get your head around it either as a player or as a or as a coach, let alone being a referee. So um, you know, I, I think um, I think there were instances across the whole weekend really which we can refer to and think, well, actually, you know, there's going to be a, a fairly um, differing amount of opinion on on, on different um, interpretations of, of calls that referees made, mm. um, but that was that was one that was. I mean, I, how many times have you seen that over a number of years? I mean, and that's the first time I've ever seen it, something like that, uh, where Murray just comes around, picks the ball up, and dots it down. Um, well, let me just take you. This is what happened. Jonathan Mason, who is the TMO, the this is what was said around the incident. He said. I can't see that's definitely gone forward. And Nigel Owen says, no, um, it's definitely gone forward, uh, you would say. And then he says, I would say yes. I said, well, 
Um, I can't quite square that from what you've first of all said. Now, if you it's the referee, change, it's the referee's code, isn't it? The reading between the lines, yeah, guiding that, each other. Yeah, but, oh, that's, be all right, yeah, but that's fine. But yeah. what you know that that is not satisfactory yeah. from anyone's point of view, is it? To have that sort of apparent discord no. from thinking and saying, you know, and whatever, and then when you add the um, Amani, uh, you know, blatant kick out of the second row. Um, that aside, because we've covered that, why on earth does Tran Duke make oh. these errors <laughs> oh. when he's a quality player? He's got lots of experience. I, can you what, explain it, Tom? Watching that game, I was just like, that, there was one game that I thought actually there could be an away win. That that was the one I was looking at, and I thought that Toulon had got themselves into a fantastic position to get themselves away from Timer Park, having nicked a win. Yep. And then just smash that ball into row K. Don't get it anywhere yes. near the touchline. Um, and not only just miss, did he miss touch, he then defended horrendously when yes. he was chasing the ball back up the field. Um, to, I'm not quite sure what Tua Sova was doing. He was 15 yards inside where Conway caught the ball. Well, suffice um, to say, there were two of them anyway in the immediate vicinity. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then about five minutes after that try, or two, three minutes after that try, there was a really poor decision to, to make an offload, which actually turned the ball oh, over to oh, Munster, no. and which almost called time on the game for Toulon. So he had an absolute stinker over about a three-minute period, yeah. which cost Toulon the game. You know, fair, fair play to Conway to finish that off, but Toulon had that game, and, and was sort of... Just shut it down. Take yourselves to the semi-finals. You have to go through those processes and get them right. And that—that that was just the Tranduke horror show. It was. <laughs> and uh, you know, even for me, uh, you'd have to have a heart of still not to feel for Bastaro and Ashton, who did play well, yeah. and they were simply almost vacant at the end, weren't they? Looking at us anyway. Racing and uh, Claremont—that was a surprise to me. But then again, maybe I don't know enough about the current form of the sides. Yeah, I, I think. Um, Look, at the moment Claremont are in ninth in the top 14, they they got absolutely thumped last week against uh, Toulon away, yep. uh, having spent a week in camp. And anyone reading into that game would think, well, you know, th- these guys are coming in into this um, Champions Cup game with, with, with some horrendous form. But I, I almost thought that, you know, that their focus had completely shifted, as we've seen over, you know, the years... That the French continue to change their their focus on games and almost feel like they can pick and choose when they want to win. And well, mm-hmm. everyone knows that doesn't really work out that way. Um, but I thought that Claremont's intent in that first forty minutes was was clear to see. And I, and I thought they were they were sort of trying to create themselves um, a good chance of of getting away from the Stade Marcel Michelin with a fantastic result coming up against Racing, who are in second in the top fourteen. But as soon as that game slowed down and it became a much more territorial um, game and, and the, the management of it, that game became more important with Dan Carter coming on, then I thought Racing took, took charge. Um, He's still quality, isn't he, Carter? Yeah. I mean, quite interesting. He can't actually get into the team. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think um, that they're in a pretty good place. Sometimes you scratch your head and wonder what style of rugby they're trying to play and what patterns they have. I'm not... I'm not, you know, when you when you watch a team, you should be able to see what systems they 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 are trying to employ, and I'm not convinced that, that you can do that too much with with Racing. But um, there was a, how, how much, I guess, a bit of a hint of possible forward pass. 
blade yeah. fall past. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how much? How much do you think the fact? Obviously, you, you know you're hugely experienced in the top fourteen. How much do you of a, a, a thing do you think it is? Because Claremont have lost a few games this year. They've, they haven't had the best season. I, I get the feeling that the other, the other teams in the league get a sniff of that and they smell the weakness. And do you think there's anything in that from racing as well, from that point of view, when it gets into that game, it starts getting tough. They they kind of, you know, their tails get up and they go, well, you know, this isn't the same Claremont team that, there's, that have been previous years. Do you think that's played a part in it at all, Tom? I think, I think 100%. You, you know, we've seen over a number of seasons, haven't we, that teams have just gone to Marcel Michelin knowing that, that Claremont on that ridiculous run they had and they almost rolled over. Um, but now, actually, they go there with a bit of an appetite, a bit of belief and confidence that they can turn them over. And I think um, it's it's difficult from a Claremont perspective when you're doing so badly in a domestic competition to try and say, well, actually, that's just domestically in Europe. We're OK. You can't separate the two it, mentally. Um, you know, I think I think it's been a tough year for them. It's been horrendous in terms of injuries. Um, and actually, now those guys are coming back. Um, to fitness that they're just probably maybe a month too late for Claremont um, but certainly when as soon as Racing w- w- were up against them in the quarterfinals there was no doubt that they would fancy their chances going down to the Massive Central. Mm. And what about um, progressing against uh, Munster? Realistic chances? I mean look it is a semi-final you know so whatever anyone says you would think that the temperament should be right and they do have quality players. Um, are we are we back to the old? I'm tired to say this. Are we back to the old cliche about which one, which side might turn up? No, I I, <laughs> I think that's started to just move out now. You know, I, I, we've seen it, haven't we? Um, clearly, in a, in a number of occasions from French teams, but I think I think that's starting to sort of disappear from that French game. Certainly at the top. Um, I'm just not convinced that Racing have got enough about their game to, to topple Munster, to be honest. Um, if, if any one team was going to be able to do that, then I think I think Toulon had that prime opportunity yesterday. Um, but yeah, as you say, Racing have quality players um, to be able to field a side that doesn't have Dan Carter. He's you know, and he comes on then to reinforce a game or or, or have Joe Rockefeller on the bench. Um, you know, is is an incredible strength. Um, they are going well domestically, which will which will help them because it means that they can almost carry their form into Europe. Um, but you, I just think Munster having having knocked over Toulon, that they'll feel pretty they'll confident. Give them, now. Get them a wave, do you think? I, yeah, I, I'm I, picking racing for this one, but I suppose you know the, you have got a point when they get that sort of red army. The tails go up. Everyone, everyone, you know, in Munster starts talking about the heroes, the days of old, and I suppose they, they sort of grow another sort of three or four inches, don't they? The whole team. Yeah, I think I think that was that was the real opportunity for the French teams to not to knock Munster over yesterday, mm. um, and, and Toulon pretty much blew that themselves. Yeah. Um, All one man, apparently, according yeah, to Brian. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that Monday morning meeting. It's going to be horrendous, isn't it? Um, his face. I wonder whether he might be ill. Yeah. Um, straight, to the, straight to the pharmacy in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he's got a cold today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think probably that was the French team's opportunity. Um, it's going to be a great game and a real tussle. Um, and and uh, I guess it's pretty tight to call. I just can't see Munster... Um, getting run so closely again. Mm. No, I mean, have you visited um, Russing's new facility? Or, because, no, I'm looking forward to. Because it looks like a nightclub to me. 
I was about to say, have nightclubs changed in the last 30 years, Brian? Well, I used to live in Soho, so Central oh, London. There you go, there you go. Please change, yes. But, um, oh, it's an incredible place to, to you know, I, I've commentated on games that, that have been from um, from the U Arena, and, you know, for, I mean, it's not a bad little pad, is it, in, in, in Paris for them to, to be playing at? But you're right, you know, the whole pre game entertainment, um, half time and post match, it's. it's uh, it's it's all about the sort of entertainment factor. And I think that's something that, that Racing need to work on. They're not necessarily, if you took Nakarawa out of the team and you took Vakatawa out, they haven't got that ability to try and create something out of nothing. Yeah. And and they that's need tight. to really sort of step their game up to fit their fit their new home really. Um at times they're they're a bit um they're a bit one dimensional, I think. Um and you take those two players out who add a huge amount to them. Um, they're a lot more exciting when they're playing. Tom, whilst we've got you here and we've got your uh, insight, what do you think of the French Six Nations campaign? Because for me, although it isn't anywhere near what I think they could and maybe should be with the talent they've got, I did detect that they made progress this year. I I agree. I I think they made a huge step forward in the right direction, Um, especially with the early selections with Jalabert at 10, um, now there's a, there's a huge argument to say, well they picked him and then when he got injured they took ten steps backward by picking Boxies. But um, you, you know they, they, I think they've uncovered a few more players as well. Actually, I think Remy uh, Grosso that came in on the wing yes. put his hand up and said, look, you know I'm I'm a genuine um, option for you on the wing. Um, you know they've got guys like Teddy Tomar, Vakatawa that that weren't really involved. Um, I think the the problem for them is that 10 slot, and it has been for so many years. Um, you, a top-class 10 that plays high-level international rugby doesn't make that mistake that, that Tranduk made yesterday at Tone Park. Do, 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 you yeah. think that's, do you think that's to do, do with the, the, the sort of the whole culture and the way they play the games by making the nine the game leader? Do you think that, that, that then sort of almost uh, cost them at, at test level? Do you, think that, do you think that's something to do with it? Or? I, think, I think there is that, but I also think that a lot of the French teams just import their yeah, yeah, they're just buying a 10, they, don't they? They bring their 10s in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. where are the young guys getting the opportunity to play? Um, and Tom, lest you think, because you're of a much younger vintage than me, <laughs> that this is a recent problem. This has been going on since the 80s, 70s. 1800s. 70s. <laughs> Sorry. This, this, this inability to pick a sensible fly half. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? If 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 Janabert gets injured and then, and then Below comes on in that first game, then... The second game, Below's still on the bench, but he gets leapfrogged by Boxies. You know, what message does that give to a young player in France that that is looking to try and develop his international career? Um, Jalibert is no doubt the player that they're looking at, but they need to, they need to find someone else in that slot pretty quickly because, you know, that well, the World Cup's coming coming around the corner, um, and actually they just need to move forward from from Tranduk and Boxies because. They've had their time, and you know I think everyone felt like suddenly, oh, this French team might be able to do something in this Six Nations competition. Um, and in some ways, they did, and I think Bastereau was outstanding again. Um, no matter how much Jippy um, takes about the weight he carries, you know he he, he <laughs> he's does really it. on top form at the moment, isn't he? Oh, he's last weekend. I mean, yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah, and talking about you know being able to play well with with. The hand you've been dealt. I mean, I'm sure he, 
<laughs> he uh, he helps himself by having maybe one or two many two croissants, but um, you know he, he, he gets him over the gain line, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It is, you know, certainly can. Who knew croissants could be so funny? I don't know. I mean, Tom, Tom we've got to leave it there, but uh, but thank you. It's great to speak to you again, mate. Thank no you worries, very much. You soon. Thank you. Time now to speak to my rugby colleague, rugby reporter from the Telegraph. Dan Schofield, because he's been at both uh, Irish uh, games, Leinster Saracens and Munster Toulon. Uh, hello, Dan. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm okay. Was it too sim- is it too simplistic to say that Leinster Saris was a mirror of uh, England Island Grand Slam game? I-, I certainly think you can sort of see the parallels there. Uh, Leinster had a very, very smart game plan. Uh, and if you look at the first half, Saracens had... I think about two-thirds possession and territory, but they really couldn't do anything with it. Whereas when Leinster had their opportunities, they they took them. And that sort of clinical nature, I guess, was a sort of hallmark of uh, Ireland's Grand Slam. And what about the Munster-Toulon game? We've discussed this in detail. What was, I mean, the, for start off, the first half lasted 55 minutes. So what was it like in the ground? And people were getting really frustrated. And, and obviously the decision came out in Munster's favour, but no one was happy with it. When, when the game takes that, when the decision takes that long, obviously you want it to get it right, but it really just sort of killed the sort of mood in the stadium. People, all the supporters were getting incredibly het up because you, you want the game to continue. Obviously you want things to be right, but you also want, the, the game to flow and when it takes something takes five minutes to, to come to a decision that may not even have been the correct one then um, I think sometimes <laughs> that's very dip- diplomatic <laughs> get, off, get, off, get off the fence Dan uh, but I, I think the sort of te- when technology when, when it was introduced everyone said it was going to make everything better that all correct decisions were going to be arrived at and it wouldn't affect the, the game as a spectacle and when you look at a game like that, I just don't think you can argue that that's the case. And what's the feeling? I mean, I've spoken to Simon Halliday before about this and he has impressed on me the difficulty, shall we say, in suddenly switching venues when you find that a semi-final or a final is not exactly proximate or is too proximate for one or uh, of the other contenders. But you can't really say that the Aviva is a neutral venue for uh, for Leinster, can you? Yeah, it would have been interesting if, if Munster and uh, Leinster had been in the same half of the draw because Aviva's the sort of national stadium and it would have ended up, Leinster would have had a home advantage against, or Munster would have had home advantage against Leinster at the Aviva. It's, it's a difficult one because you obviously want the, the games to be played at the, in the biggest, Stadiums, um, but some sometimes in, in the case of, of Leinster, it clearly um, give, gives them a, a significant advantage. I suppose the elephant in the room is that it all comes down to money, and they've got to plan it in advance, make the money, and and uh, they're picking places where people are going to go and watch the rugby, uh, and, and buy their tickets and fill out the stadium. So I suppose that, that that's probably uh, unfortunately what's going to dictate everything anyway. And, and Scarlet's went there and, and won in the semi-final last year. Um, played with 40 men for 60-odd um, minutes. So it, it it shows that it's a handicap, but not necessarily one that can't be overcome. 
It is, but you've seen these sides uh, close up, and this time round, um, I make Leinster reasonably firm favourites for the lot. Um, realistic chance of Scarlets doing it? Well, if you look at the, the recent game, Scarlets have the sort of that wide, expansive game that really sort of troubles Leinster. They, 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 I think they drew in the league quite recently, and they, it was uh, Leinster were really sort of unnerved by the way Scarlets moved the ball around. And again, go back to the, the Pro uh, 12 uh, semi-final last year, Scarlets completely did a did a number of, on them, and of, of all, all the the teams left in the, in the, the semis, I think Scarlets the ones who, who, who posed the biggest threat to, to Leinster. Well, we will see. Uh, no doubt that that tie should, if it lives anywhere near its billing, be an absolutely thrilling yeah. contest. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you, Brian. Time now to switch uh, genders and talk about the women's game. I'm really pleased we can speak to the most capped England player ever. And that includes Jason Leonard, I believe. It's Rocky Clark, the Wasp Prop World Champion in 2014. Hello, Rocky. Hi, yeah. How are you doing? I'm all right. I, I am right, aren't you? You've beaten Jason's total. I have. Bless him. Yep. He's uh, <laughs> been a legend of mine growing up. And yeah, I had the privilege to, to pass the big uh, fun bus. The big fun bus. Um, you haven't got a nickname. like No, you haven't. No, let, let, let's leave that. Look, the top four <laughs> are sorted now. First yep. against fourth, it's going to be Saris versus Gloucester Hartbury. And Quinns versus uh, Wasps. That it is. Am, am I right? It's home and away. Yes, it is. Yeah, so oh. it's a two-leg semi-final um, on the seventh and fourteenth of April. Okay. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. And I think that be it's been so we can tell people it's being streamed on the Premier 15's website. Is that right? Yes. So that's where you can go if you uh, want to watch that. I'm sure it'll be uh, worth it. Saris and Quinns have been sort of standout teams for a while. I think Wasps have developed. You know, they've, they've come on through the season and that your form as uh, running into these things is always a good sign, isn't it, when you come to playoffs? Not necessarily where people finish, but what sort of streak of form they enter them into. So are you confident? Hey, you know, it's going to be really tough. Top four teams of the league. It, it has... Personally, for Wasps, as you said, we have been building this year um, and it has been going really well. But it's important to get yourself in that top four and then anything can happen. You know, a two-leg uh, semi-final is, is it, you know, tough tough to to back up great performances um, back-to-back in a big, strong competition. So it's going to be, um, yeah, it's certainly going to be exciting edge-of-the-seat stuff, I reckon. Which which way do you think is is is, uh, is beneficial? Having the home leg first or the away leg? Which way do you sort of see it? Which which, which gives you an advantage? Build up an early lead at home or go away, get a win? How do you, how do you see that, that working out? Hey, great question. It's something I've been um, discussing <laughs> with a few of my friends. And yeah. We've been, yeah, we've been sort of, Split, um, split decision really. Give us yours then. Yeah, go on. Give us yours. Give us yours, Judge. Yeah. This is the like the boxing. I think, I think maybe home advantage first. Get, get out ahead early. And yeah, mm. and then you know if if you do manage to get that um, that home win, you go in psychologically, you know, a bit tougher into the next game, and you've got one over on them. So mm. personally, I think I'd like to to go out strong, have your home support, and. And get uh, get yourself involved early on. Lead, yeah. And we were talking yeah. earlier on about uh, the fact that Leinster are going to have, well, 
home semi-final, so to speak, because how the, dare the, you, Brian? The, the, the Aviva. No, look, let's not beat about the bush. If you want to be, you know, if you want to ask silly questions, and then then fine. If you don't want to pretend things are, you know, as they're not. But given the relative um, sparseness of crowds, and that's not a criticism because crowds are growing. Will it make that much difference, the home and away, for the win sides? Maybe with Harlequins, right? Uh, um, so, yeah, both both teams are going to make sure that they drum up as much support as possible. And it's, I think it's just having the, you know, you, you know where your changing rooms are, you know you know your routines, you, you know, it, it is that home advantage. It's a very you know, easy thing to say. But I, I certainly think having, um, you know, a lot of people are going to come out for both um both games and yeah I think there is definitely a, a bonus to, to playing at home and it, and it does make a difference and, for and, me personally I think and with your experience obviously at the highest level in the women's game dealing with knockout pressure games um, this this being the, the, the sort of big big season where women's rugby is taking that step do you think is, is that something you've spoken about and you've shared with some of the guys who haven't necessarily played in these knockout games about how to deal with the pressure, how to just focus on the next thing? What, what have you been saying to, to, to your sort of less experienced teammates? Yeah, you have to you have to certainly stay in the moment, and you've you've got to focus on each you know task at hand. You can't worry too much about the 80th minute. You've you've got to get on with first five. You know try and get into your patterns, get into your um, systems early doors. And it's all about making sure that you, you try not to let the occasion be too big. Mm. You've just got to focus on the here and now, step by step, and, you know, you, you should take care of it. But you certainly can't get too stressed out about how big an occasion it is with a knockout. It's, it's got to be about the job, job at hand. And what about the Six Nations? How big a disappointment to you was it that England didn't, Carry, uh, carry it through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Being out in Grenoble, it was, you know, a fantastic occasion, and the and the French had really well, like, record crowds over seventeen thousand there. But it was, yeah, tear your heart out kind of stuff. To be honest, um, you know, we knew it was going to be a, a tough end to the competition, and um, you know, we thrive on that that pressure. But yeah, certainly. And that, I guess that's the beauty of rugby. You win some, you lose some. And, and uh, it really does hurt. But the ones you win, you know, it makes it more special. So, yeah, tough one, tough pill to swallow. But, uh, you know, there's always hopefully a next game. Brilliant. Um, you know, I, I think I think your experience is, it, it, it tells you and obviously the success you've had talking about, well, there'll be a next game and everything else. It's, uh, it puts it all into perspective. And I'm sure that's something you'll be able to get across to, to, to your guys when you go into the knockout rub, rugby domestically as well. I'm sure they'll really benefit from your experience. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much. Rocky, thank you very much. Thanks, great to speak to you guys. Uh, George, uh, before we go, um, we've got time to consider the domestic stuff next week and your two former teams against each other. Isn't this a bit of a dead rubber, Quinn's Irish, unfortunately? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one because you look at it and you kind of go, well, I, look, Irish are pretty much already down. Quinns don't have that necessarily that motivation to 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 achieve anything as a result of the outcome of this game. They're at home. Obviously, they got beaten by Irish first game of the season. Mm. Uh, I know, having done each season at London Irish, having played for Harlequins for whatever it is, eleven years, how much London Irish hate Harlequins. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so from that point of view, I think it could be quite an interesting game. It will certainly be a grudge match because uh, I don't think there's going to be any love lost. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think I think Harlequins obviously, uh, you know, the, the management there are probably under a little bit of pressure uh, from 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 the season, so they'll be wanting to make sure they get they get this one right because obviously if London Irish turn up, they've got nothing to lose for. And did they can you go for um, it, can't they? did you foresee the departure? Of the uh, director of rugby, of, uh, of uh, Brendan and uh, Nick. No, I, I, it's not something that I saw coming. And to be honest with you, I've been focused on work and everything mm-hmm. like that. And uh, I had a chat with one of the guys, and he said, "Oh, you know what's happened, don't you?" It sort of kind of hit everybody, I think, from left field. Um, they've obviously looked at it, uh, and at the end of the day, it's results that the, the industry that, that, that rugby is now. It's a results-based industry, uh, and budget or no budget, if you're finishing bottom of the table and you're not winning any games. The, the person that ends up copying it is usually the guys at the top. So it's just a, it's just a trend that, that you've seen happen and it's sort of, you know, I'm sure if, the, if they don't change things from the top down, it'll happen Well, the again. whole situation yeah. is going to be complicated by whatever happens with ring fencing. Yeah. You know that it was a move by Irish to put this on the agenda before Christmas. Yeah. It's come back on the agenda. Right. Principally, I think, because it looks like Bristol are going to come up and Bristol are one of the big mega clubs who, you know, want Well they've to have got that budget, sort of haven't they? They've got Huge. budget, they've got money. I think I think it's really interesting to see again, what what I think's really hard is when teams come up from the, the championship to the premiership, there's a there is a big leap and it's not necessarily in terms of the, the ability necessarily straight off the bat. It's the fact that you've got a team that's already together and has been playing in the Premiership. Yeah. And when you make the leap from Championship to Premiership, it doesn't matter if you've got great players. They haven't been playing in the Premiership together in the high pressure. So that's the leap that every team has to make. That's the challenge. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I, I, I personally think that there's no way you should be ring-fencing uh, the Premiership. I think that's what makes it the, 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 the one of the most savagely competitive, competitive leagues in the world is because every season you've got not just the top end but you've got bottom end battles and I think it's what makes English sport full stop brilliant to watch well unfortunately that's all we've got time for on this week's Brian Moore's Full Contact thank you to my co-host George Robson and as always my producer Abby Patterson please remember subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it will help more people find us. We'll be back next week. But for now, goodbye.